when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Harris, they don't talk. Is that something you just ignore? Yeah, yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired and the next week you're going to take another job, and I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And So, yes, to answer your question. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. That's iron sharpening iron. That's the way this thing's got to work, man. We got to know and understand that it's got to be about competition. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, <laughs> like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming, and we ain't backing down. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vowels on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy, what's going on? Hey, doing good, Shane. Back from the weekend and thankful that we got LSU kicked off spring camp. Mm-hmm. Florida's getting underway. Now with all the other action we got, it's starting to, you know, it doesn't quite feel like SEC season, but we're getting we're getting a little taste of it. I'm getting pretty yeah. fired up about it. Yes, it feels like the wheels are turning, Mike. These interviews you've lined up, they're fantastic. They're getting me in the Christmas spirit. <laughs> well, speaking of the Christmas spirit, Shane, that's obviously what it felt like for us when Mississippi State hired Mike Leach. We don't have any updates on Mississippi State on this episode, but they're going to be kicking off spring football soon, so we got a lot of Mississippi State coverage coming. But we do got a little antidote here from Mike Leach, who was up in uh, he was up in Boston over the weekend. I recommend anybody that uh, is into analytics and just loves Mike Leach to go check out this interview. Uh, it was a Saturday morning thing that I kind of stumbled upon, just started watching, and it's Mike Leach up there with a bunch of nerds talking about you know percentages and odds and when you should do this, when you should do that. And Mike Leach just, I mean, this is a hilarious, just a minute of him basically saying, you can't always go with uh, these, these damn 30% do this, 20% do this, 5% do this. Because here's what'll happen. What these guys can do nowadays is utterly amazing, and 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 and, and, and I have a big brother complex. Okay, like I think everybody's watching me all the time. I don't even trust my phone. Okay, and, 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 and these guys, these guys are quantifying everything, and, and then what becomes the temptation is to try to tell your players all the stuff that they know. Okay. No, don't. You can't. I mean, yeah, you can't. You can't. I mean, okay. Okay. There's a 20% chance they're going to do this. There's a 50% chance they're going to do that. And don't forget, there's a 5% chance they might do that. Well, I mean, nobody can, nobody can go there and trigger with a rocket up their ass and blow up the ball carrier if if you're sitting there thinking about 5%. You see. All right. <laughs> Once again, Mike Leach just shows why he's so popular in our opinion. But, man, I can't wait to see it because, you know, outside of these comments, he did talk about the fact that he just loves going for it on fourth down uh, mm-hmm. more often than not. That's going to, you know, for him, he said, if his offense kicks a field goal, that's a failure. And yeah. a lot of coaches say that, but Mike Leach's <laughs> history proves that uh, he really means it. Dude, I'll tell you, man. Yeah, I, me. I, I just, I'm, I'm so pumped about media days. I've never been this excited uh, for what is that? June? Is that usually when that st- when that starts up? Uh, July. Well, let's say, let's say early July. <laughs> you know, when that thing gets going, I just, it, you think of last year with Coach Luke and uh, Coach Joe, you just, I mean, it had a little buzz, but really not what we're going to see. Uh, I mean, these guys are already writing down questions they want to ask him. So I'm pretty pumped up. Um, I'm also, man, I'm, I'm extremely excited about 
what he's going to put on the field. And uh, he's just – he's a no BS kind of coach, it seems like, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you Remember we had – uh, oh, Johnny Mustache on the other day, and he was talking about, you know, hey, it's simple. It's numbers. If there's five guys over here and I've got four, I'm not going to that side, you know. Mm-hmm. So it seems like he's going to simplify it for Mississippi State, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, and given the fact that he's in the SEC now, I mean, mm-hmm. I know he just got there, but he's going to have K.J. Costello, which on paper is going to be the most talented quarterback he's ever worked with. And I'm, if I'm sitting there and I'm a Bulldog fan, I'm saying, my God, we just got this guy. He's already got it, – it took him a couple weeks here to get the most talented quarterback because it's, it's attractive playing in that system that's, that's spread to the NFL. It's yep. attractive playing in the SEC. It's attractive going against, you know, whatever Costello did there at Pac-12, they're not going to – NFL is not going to study that tape. They're going to study next year what he yep. does against the SEC and if he has a huge year – uh, you got to imagine that there's going to be just quarterbacks lining out the door to want to play for Mike Leach in the SEC. For sure, man. All right, Shane. So before we go quickly, we don't have a ton of teams to hit on. We're really only going to do a little bit of Florida, and then we've got a really good interview lined up here for LSU. Talk some LSU spring football. But before we get to that, Shane, some updated SEC national championship odds released. Heading in, you know, not all the SEC teams are in spring. So, mm-hmm. so it's interesting. The Bet Online, the online sports book, has offered up uh, nine teams here with not all 14. They only got nine listed here. But at the top of the list, Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. Top of the list, Alabama, five and a half to one to win the national championship. And I believe the only team that is uh, has better odds to win it is Clemson. So Alabama, number two in the nation, number one in the SEC, five and a half to one to win it all. Uh, any That's not a real surprise there. Not a real surprise. It's just I think it's a surprise to anybody outside of Georgia. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you talk to – I've talked to a lot of Georgia fans, and, and they really – they really think Newman's the guy. Mm-hmm. They think this is the year that that this is the year that they take Saban. So I don't know. I, I like the talent. You know, we're gonna we're gonna go back and forth on this thing all summer long. But I really do think Georgia's got the greatest defense in the country. And and a lot of times when you have that type of defense, if your offense is just productive enough, it may be the season for for them. So uh, uh, so outside Georgia, I guess that would be the only one. Maybe I mean, maybe a little bit of Florida because there is a lot of Florida love coming up too. So I'm sure they're going to be next here on the list. Well, actually, next on the list, Shane, Georgia. Well, Georgia, I meant, and then Florida, right? Nine to one, which that makes a lot of sense. But I I tend to agree with you there. I'd almost put Alabama and Georgia on even plane right now. Yeah, and it, it kind of give that edge to Georgia with the defense. Maybe well, Alabama a little bit of the edge with the coaching and yeah. and potentially the quarterback, but. You know, I do want to make this note for anyone. They're probably – I pissed off a lot of Bulldog Nation here, Shane. Uh, I did it again this weekend with uh, – I just saw, you know, there was a Clemson player. Apparently he compared Jamie Newman to Justin Fields. Kind of said, Jamie Newman will do what Justin Fields kind of was supposed to do there at the Bulldogs in Athens. And I kind of took exception to that. Uh, but – it's not so much that I, I'm trying to hate on Jamie Newman. I'm just trying to pump the brakes of all this talk of him being a Heisman front runner, and you know the best. You know they're saying the best quarterback Georgia's had in a number of years. I mean, I think some fans are going to regret this kind of line of thinking, and they may even come to to miss Jake Fromm next season. I think Georgia's got the roster to win the entire thing, not just the SEC, but the national championship. And I think Jamie Newman can get him there. But I just think that anyone expecting this kid to be Justin Fields or, uh, you know, Joe Burrow, what have you, I think they're asking way too much of a, you know, one-time graduate transfer player here from Wake Forest. It's a lot of pressure, man. You know, so again, because that's, that's the argument. Everybody talks about, well, that was the ACC. And then he didn't have the talent that he's going to have down there in Georgia. So, I mean, right now it's just ifs and ands, you know. We we don't know, but I'm kind of with you. I think it's a tier thing with Georgia and Alabama, but I don't think three and four are that far behind either. Where what, what do you got next? 
LSU, number three, LSU Tigers, 10 to 1. So that's, I mean, that's surprising to a lot of people given all their losses. I think LSU is going to be really competitive this year, but my goodness, Shane, they've they've lost damn near everybody. Um, Not everybody, but they just lost such a huge chunk of that team and the coaching staff. So it's just kind of a double whammy there, but expect LSU to be very competitive. Here's the team you already hit on, Shane, Florida, 12 to 1. I think right now, for my money, that's probably the best value bet on this board because I think it's realistic to say the Gators could win it all, and they're at 12 to one. Um, you're looking, I mean, I got them pretty close to Georgia in my book, but Georgia at nine to one, so Florida 12 to one, a little bit more value there with the Gators. Yeah, but I, I'm kind of with you. Let me ask you, uh, going in uh, or just finishing last season, you know, I think there was a bigger gap, obviously between. Teams like LSU, Alabama, you know, compared to, I hate to say it, but Georgia, I mean, you saw the SEC championship. It just seemed like two different ball clubs out there. Do you think the the top four are going to be a lot closer going into this season? Oh, absolutely. I think it's kind of yeah. wide open. Yeah. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, Georgia going into Alabama week three is going to tell us a lot about both those teams. And I assume everyone outside of Athens is probably going to be penciling that in to, well, it's, it's in Tuscaloosa. Let's, mm-hmm. That's going to be a W for Alabama. I'm leaning right now towards saying Georgia is not only going to win that game, they, I think they should be the favorite. Yeah. So, I, I mean, if that happens, I mean, that's <laughs> it's not that Alabama's going to be terrible, but I just think Georgia could potentially be that good. And, I mean, that changes everything in the SEC, in my opinion, because – uh, it would mean the Alabamas may not be the top dog, and then it's you know several other teams fighting out for that crown. You know, one thing with with LSU, I, I honestly I think Miles, uh, I've, I've said it all off season so far. I don't think we're going to see as as a significant drop in the passing game mm-hmm. because I think he's a very capable quarterback. I think LSU has plenty of talent, and would not blow my mind if they if they continued this streak, man, and go undefeated again. But I'm kind of with you with the separation. And Florida is the one I can't keep my eyes off of. And and a lot of that has to do with their scheduling. But I just think that if if this is the year that Dan makes some noise in the SEC East, especially, it's got to be this season, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, he's going to have the deepest team he's got. He's going to have a quarterback I think he trusts for the first time there in Gainesville. And, you know, I know they don't recruit up to Georgia's level, but, I mean, they're not that far behind. And Georgia has suffered some significant losses, you know, to mm-hmm. some elite five stars leaving the team. Hell, one of them jumped ship to Florida. So, yeah, I don't think the gap is quite as far as some would assume just looking at the recruiting rankings. Mm, I'm just pumped up, man. All right. Tw- All right who we got next? 25 to 1, Shane. Both these teams listed at 25 to 1. Auburn and Texas A&M. So these are kind of the dark horses of the SEC. So, you know, not a ton of people going to be picking them to win it, but they got the coaching, they got the talent, Mm -hmm. and they've got, you know, hell of a home field advantage for any game that they they get at home. It's kind of fascinating that they're both at this 25-1. to If you had to pick one team of these two, Auburn and Texas A&M, to win the whole deal, which one are you leaning with? Dude, I was about to ask you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm going to go with Texas Mm A&M. And and the reason is mainly because of Kellen Mond. You know, I've given him hard times at at times. But I think if they're going to take that step forward, if Jimbo's going to win, I mean, the scheduling is easier. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not it's not easy by no means, but it's a lot easier than it was last year. Uh, so I think the schedule loosens up. I think some of this young raw talent takes a step forward from last season as well. Not just Kellen, uh, you know. I just I don't know. Top to bottom, both sides of the ball. I like what I'm seeing with the Aggies. Now Auburn, obviously, I think Bo comes out. I think this is a, uh, I think this is a big growing year for him. It wouldn't surprise me if they make some noise. Hell, they beat, you know, Alabama, the team I just told you was probably top tier team last season. But um, 
the loss that they have on defense kind of worries me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the, the shuffle that they're having on offense as far as play calling. So I'm leaning more toward A&M on that one. What about you? Yeah, I'll go with the Aggies as well. I'll say something a little bit different, though. I think the key for me is just the fact that, you know, now's the time when we really need to see this Jimbo Fisher program take control I mean, it, I don't want to call year one a rebuilding year, but it was just a turnover year. Mm-hmm. And then last year, they just never seemed to take that next step. Now, it, this is going to be a show-me year, because if they do yep. that again, they win you know six or seven games. I mean, there's a real issue here. And, hell, I know Jimbo's got this massive contract, but we may be trying to trade him or something because yeah. <laughs> we <can't>, we're, <laughs> we're paying this man too much money. And it's not all about the coaching. Why I really like the Aggies is – you know, if you want to look across why Auburn was so dominant last year, I think a big piece of that was that defensive line. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying the Aggies are going to have the nation's best defensive line like Auburn may have had last year, but they're not that far behind. They've been <laughs> quietly stacking some four- and five-star defensive linemen there in College Station. And I think they're going to have some monsters there on the defensive side of the ball. And Mike Elko, one of the best defensive coordinators in the nation, uh, they've got some really young pieces on offense. If that defense takes a step forward, I'm I'm really liking the Aggies' chance to surprise some people next year. And I just don't think I just don't think Auburn got enough respect for that defensive front last year. I mean, these are guys you're going to watch in the NFL. I mean, it kind of reminds me, not to sound like a homer, but do you remember back in uh, Tennessee's heyday when they had Big John Henderson and Albert Hainsworth, two first round picks? You know, mm-hmm. it's like you didn't realize. I mean, you knew John was special, but you didn't realize how special that front was until they were gone. Right. And I, I think that's what we're going to see with Auburn next year. It's just that void is is not going to make the other team so one dimensional. Now here, speaking of Tennessee, Shane, here we go. Tennessee Vols forty to one. Next up, and let me throw this out there. I, this is going to be music to ears, Shane. What is the value of the Vols right now at forty to one? If let's just. You know, I'm just throwing this out there. I'm not going to say it's happening, but let's say it does. What if old Harrison Bailey comes in there? He's already in there in the spring. He impresses in the spring, takes control of that job in the fall, and he's the next great. He doesn't have to be Trevor Lawrence year one, but he's got, you know, he flashes that he's got that in him mm-hmm. with that defense they had last year. Any potential that uh, Tennessee could be a sleeper pick here? Mike, you know better than that. <laughs> you just, you feel, I felt like you teed that one up, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm drinking my orange Kool-Aid thinking, you know what? He's got a point. We've got a chance here. It's just, no, I, 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 I'm a gambling man. And if I put money on a team, it's probably going to be in that 25 to 40 range, you know. So uh, I, I wouldn't mind putting a little money on these volunteers and um, – because if they, I mean they did show signs, I mean they showed some significant signs of improvement toward the end of the season, and if we see a true freshman quarterback come in, or I hate to say it, I don't hate to say it, I'd love to see it, Garantano come out as a, a rejuvenized player, you know, mm-hmm. and actually a captain of this team, then I, you know, no, it would it blow my mind. Yeah, probably. I mean, let's just be <laughs> realistic. I mean, it's. I don't think this is the year. This isn't the one I've got circled. You know, we were talking about Jimbo year three. You got circled. I think that's going to be more next season. Mm-hmm. All right, last team on the docket here, Shane. And this is going to surprise a lot of people outside of the Bluegrass State. Kentucky listed. This is where Mark Stoops has elevated this program. They're on these national championship contender lists. 90 to 1. I know it's a long shot, but... Hey, at least you got odds. Put five bucks on it, Big Blue, and uh, maybe you maybe you cash in big time there. Let me ask you, Mike, because we're, we're just talking. Who do you like between Kentucky and Tennessee? I mean, if you had to pick one, are, are, is it closer? I mean, 90 and 40, that's a significant gap if you ask me. Right. I thought it'd be closer to like maybe 40, 50 or even tied up at 40. It just – I'm kind of surprised the spread so so wide there with uh, with Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I, even though it's you know there's major value there with the Wildcats, I still I still would go with Tennessee. 
They mm-hmm. still got the – I think they're much closer on the talent profile and just the progression we saw the second half of last season. I know that was the weaker part of the schedule, but – you know, these are the off-season excuses people make when you when you want to downgrade someone or you want to elevate them. And the yeah. you know fact of the matter is, they look terrible to start the season. They were damn near dominant on defense to end the season, and they were playing with a lot of players that Jeremy Pruitt didn't even recruit. He inherited, and he got the most out of them. Now he's do you know he's going to have that opportunity to do it with more of the players that he's handpicked. And if Tennessee keep, I mean, it's almost, I don't want to get your hopes up, Shannon. I feel like I'm just, but keep, you know, keep going, the big orange nope, horn nope. here, but it kind of reminds me of Nick Saban, Alabama, the second year they went undefeated until the SEC championship. So programs take those huge steps for, that's what, that's what uh, Georgia did under Kirby Smart. You know, they didn't have a great first year, but they won the bowl game. They come back and they were lights out the second year. So sometimes when that flip is switched, I mean, it's just, you know, full steam ahead. And, I mean, I if you were to ask me which one of these is a better option to do it, I think it's Tennessee. Maybe that light came on for, you know, basically the entire program. The old flip switch. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like me, man. We've been hanging out too much, right? <laughs> I just think I, I will say this about Kentucky. I, you know, for us to – don't get me wrong. Again, I'm, I'm – I'd love for Tennessee to to make some noise in the SEC, but uh, you know we're you kind of banked it on potential of a true freshman quarterback. I mean, if you look at what Kentucky does have coming back, it all starts in the trenches. They're going to be loaded. They're going to be deeper on defense. I think. Mm-hmm. I think the quarterback situation is probably one of the best ones that Stoops had in a long, long time. You know what I'm saying? I think Terry coming back, even though he's not playing this spring, I still think he's a huge asset to that team. And look what you can do with legs, man. I mean, if Terry, just a a small resemblance of what Bowden was able to get done last season, I mean, Kentucky can be one of those sneaky, dangerous teams, ones that you just can't – pencil as a W anymore. So um, I, I just think that I, I don't think that the gap between Tennessee and Kentucky is as big as people are saying. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane. So like I said, we only got two teams to hit on. So let's uh, jump on down to Gainesville real quick. Where Dan Mullen had his uh, first press conference of the spring here on Monday. And, you know, it was a lot of what you'd expect from Dan Mullen. He didn't want to reveal too much. He was asked about the injuries. He's said, well, we'll see when we hit the field. <laughs> Can't let the opponents know, you know, six, seven months before the damn season who's going to be out there. But one thing he did hit on that uh, he was very adamant about time and time again was uh, this is the first time since he's been at Gainesville that the Gators are going to go three deep at damn near every position and – what does that say about his coaching and just what he's gotten out of those players the last couple of years, Shane, where, hell, they've won 21 games in two seasons. And, you know, keep in mind, he took over, you know, the program wasn't in terrible shape, but, hell, they were coming yeah. off a terrible season. And now here he's saying, well, this is the first time we actually have depth. We can, particularly on the offensive line, he says you can't even practice if you don't have enough offensive linemen. What's that say about Dan Mullen and everything he's got going down there that, this is the first year he feels like he's got depth across the board. Oh, I, I think it's fantastic. Now, is it is it depth or is it competitive depth? You know, there's a, right. there's a difference, and uh, it's one thing to have a couple of big bodies back there, but if uh, if it's a significant drop like it was last year, I mean, think about it, Florida. That was, I mean, you talk about a thin group that up front. If they uh, if they had a lot another lineman or two go down, that could have been a uh, a, a bad situation down there in Gainesville. So um, that's what I want to see. And I think that's going to that's gonna fall more on the strength and conditioning coach. And then, uh, you know, aside from his comments about just the depth they have on the roster, I thought the most interesting thing Dan Mullen had to say day one here, and this shouldn't be a really a, a surprise, but it seemed like it was some of the, a surprise to some of the media members there, given the fact that uh, Kyle Trask, coming off a breakout season. Hell, we both rated him as the number one quarterback in the SEC. Gained us a lot of Gator fans that day. (laughs) But Dan Mullen asked about Kyle Trask and if there's a quarterback competition. And 
I, I really like what Dan Mullen had to say here. So some of the reaction I'm kind of confused about, but uh, let's let's hit to hit on this. Dan Mullen, what Kyle Trask he's got to deal with now that he's the you know coming off that success and how firm his grasp is on this uh, starting quarterback job. How how's Kyle handled his first off season as a starter? Yeah, uh, seems to have handled it pretty well. So I know he's got guys. He's got a couple other guys in the room that expect to start next year. So I think uh, he's handled it. He better push himself and continue to work and every day and and compete at the highest of levels so that he can remain in that position. But I think our guys now going into a, you know a couple of years. I think even all our guys going into last season handled the situation much better in their preparation, knowing what to expect and knowing how to prepare going through an off season. What's the next step, kind of in the evolution for for Kyle Trask this spring? Um, I, I think there's a big part for him in just the the understanding and management of the offense. You know, of how fast he makes decisions, um, and how quick, uh, how fast he makes decisions, how good he makes decisions. I, I think there's so much to that. The decision making process of the quarterback. Uh, of anticipating, know where to go with the ball, make sure, you know, the ability to get us into the right play and really utilize the offense to his advantage. And um, with that, whether it's checking protections, whether it's how you're using snap counts, whether it's uh, how you're throwing guys open and what ch- when you want to take a chance, when you don't want to take a chance, all of those things are the next step progressions. How open do you see this quarterback position? I mean, last year. Always, you, every position's open. Well, I know. Last year you said uh, there was no set positions with, with, with quarterback, and we kind of maybe rolled our eyes a little bit. But how different is that from this year? No. Same, same. same difference. Same as it is. The, every, there's not a position on our team that's not that way, right? All right, Shane. So competition across the board, according to Dan Mullen, even at quarterback. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because I saw some people saying, well, hell, I thought this guy was going to win them Heisman, Mike. But <laughs> this is what I want to be hearing if I'm a Florida fan. I don't want to hear, yeah, Kyle Trask is good. He's locked it up. Everybody else competing to be his backup. No, <laughs> that's not that's not the way this program is going to be run. That's not the way Dan Mullen's ever run his quarterbacks. He, he gives these guys equal reps in the spring because you just never know who's going to make that big jump. You, you certainly don't want your starting quarterback or perceived starting quarterback to get complacent. Yeah. If that happens at Florida, I mean, this season is kind of riding on Kyle Trask in, to some extent. Not to say that the backups can't get it done, but the way we're talking about him, he's the SEC's best quarterback. And if Florida's going to win the SEC, they need Trask to not only play as well as he did last year, they need him to play better. And this is why Dan Mullen's a hell of a quarterback coach because he knows how to get the most out of these guys. Not just quarterback coach, just coach in general. I mean, think about the quarterbacks that started last season and ended last season. A lot of these guys, including Florida, had to rely on backups. And if you just crown a guy, you say, this is, yeah, it's his job, you know. That may work for certain teams, but a team like Florida, I don't think it will. You need to have your backups ready. And if you think about it, when Kyle came in, Emory wasn't far behind. In fact, there was a lot of drives he'd come in, you'd be like, what is going on here? You know, it Mm -hmm. felt like Kyle had the job. But if you think about Emory, uh, I I hope even if he doesn't get the starting job, I still think that you're going to see more of him because you think about that game, like the LSU game, Mm -hmm. you know, what he was able to add with his legs. I, you know, that's the type of team that Dan's going to run and uh, you got to have a competitive quarterback room, you know? Absolutely. And I mean, Dan's done it before with uh, Tebow and Leak and yeah. uh, So yeah, it wouldn't be a surprise at all to me. All right, next, uh, Dan Mullen, final comments I got from him that I thought were interesting. He was asked about uh, the hire of Tim Brewster, who, I mean, depending on who you ask, this guy a better tight end coach or a better recruiter, it's hard to pick pick a side here. Dan Mullen kind of gets into that and also touches on why Tim Brewster is such an outstanding recruiter. Dan, what does uh, Tim Brewster bring to the staff? Well, you know, I'd bruise, I mean, he's uh, bruise a guy I've, I've had on staff before, worked with before. He's got a great personality, great passion for the game. Obviously, he's an excellent tight ends coach. Uh, and you look, you know, and, and it was kind of funny when he was with me before, I had him coaching the receivers. 
uh, with how when we brought him in. So it's great kind of having him now even at his, his most comfortable position. Uh, but a wealth of knowledge and experience as a position coach. Uh, great personality uh, that I already knew about because I've, I fit in and it's a great, you know, fit with the staff. I think that's something that's critical of, of how – you know, a guy fits in with the personality of the staff, and he's a great recruiter for us too. You know, what I mean, and and if you're around Brew and just see his, you know, his attitude and, and he's always got high energy, always excited, and and uh, that's the type of guy I like to have around. And he's he's a great, not only just a great football coach on the field, and you know, a, a dynamic recruiter, but also a great personality within our staff and a great fit. You called uh, Brewster a dynamic recruiter a minute ago. Yeah. Uh, can you elaborate on that? What makes him so good? Well, I just, I mean, if you ever talk to him, his personality, you know what I mean? I mean, he's, he loves, I mean, he can talk. I mean, he, he comes in a room and his personality kind of, he's, you know, one of those, he can, he takes over the room, you know what I mean? He's one of those, I don't think he's ever walked into a room and not left with more friends than he walked into. And I think, you know, in recruiting, that, that certainly helps that kind of, that, that personality that he has. All right, Shane, so if old Tim Brewster walked in a room with us, he'd be our best friends, it sounds like. Hell yeah. And he seems like my kind of guy, you know what I'm saying? Even though he's <laughs> he's playing for the enemy, you know. But uh, I'm just curious why nobody asked Dan how many peppers did Peter Popper pick, you know, because MPs were popping, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's, he's just fired up for spring football, it sounds like. I loved it, man. I loved it. And that's – I mean, that's what you got to have, these kids. These kids – they. You know, they they have people in their living rooms all the time, you know, coaches in the room all the time. And, and it's got to be one that comes in there and just steals the show. You know, the kids just want to be a – they want to hang around. I mean, we've all been around people like that, you know. Michael, you're like what? You know, I just want to <laughs> hang out with you. And I think that's important, especially when you're going to these high schools and trying to not only win the kids over but win the parents. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You've got to have that factor. And, and if you're not an enjoy, if you're not enjoyable to be around – well, they're not going to want your kid to play with them. So uh, that's a huge thing for Dan because we, we've we talked about it. Dan needs all the help he can with recruiting. Yeah, without a doubt. And I, I think that's why he made this hire. Yeah. All right, Shane. So let's uh, jump on down next to Baton Rouge. It's my honor to present the national championship trophy to Coach Ed Ogeron and the LSU Tigers. Where we got a terrific interview lined up here with uh, Jacques Doucet of WAFB Channel 9 in Baton Rouge. And anyone that's not following Jacques, which he can also be found at Jacques Doucet on Twitter. I mean, he is the best LSU Twitter follower, in my opinion, hands down. Video content. He's on the teleconference. He's at all the press availabilities. And... I don't know if you're if you're not following him, you're doing it wrong. So let's uh, kick over to our interview with uh, Jacques Doucet, WAFB Channel Nine there in Baton Rouge. We're pleased to be joined by Jacques Doucet, WAFB Channel Nine in Baton Rouge. Is personally one of my favorite follows on Twitter for everything LSU. I mean, he's firing out video after video. He's at all the media availabilities, and Jacques also runs the Red Rock and Blue charity. You can find that over at uh, redrockandblue.com. I highly recommend all our listeners go and check out the good work he's doing there. Jacques is a Heisman Trophy voter, so I want to ask him just briefly about that. And he was also 2017 Louisiana Sportscaster of the Year. Jacques, thanks so much for joining us. I really do appreciate it. Michael, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. So I got to ask, I know the Heisman, we've had a couple Heisman voters on the show and you know, I know there's rules. You can't really reveal sometimes who you voted for, but can you at least tell us how many LSU Tigers did you put on your ballot? I mean, my goodness, last year you probably could have put four or five guys on there and you wouldn't even look like a big homer. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Uh, this year was actually the first time I got to vote on the Heisman. Scott Rabelais, who works with the Baton Rouge Advocate, who's worked there for many years, uh, asked me to be a voter this year. I think there, I don't know how many voters there are in Louisiana, uh, maybe something like 12 or something like that. I'm not sure offhand, but um, yeah, it was a privilege to vote this year, and uh, I, I voted for the quarterback who played uh, at LSU. It was uh, was a pretty easy selection this year. Um, I think I'm, I think I voted Jalen Hurts uh, as my runner-up, so that kind of fell in line exactly with what happened. So, big honor for me to uh, to get to do that. I, I covered the Heisman Trophy ceremony for the first time ever. Uh, made the trip to New York City. 
Um, you know, we weren't in the weren't in the room uh, when the ceremony took place, and when he was uh, when Joe Burrow was named the Heisman Trophy winner, we were at a hotel right across the street, and uh, they brought him over to us afterwards with the trophy, and he did some some uh, some interviews. Ed Ogeron, LSU head coach, was there as well, and um, you know, really hit my first time ever in the heart of New York City with a chance to kind of soak in um, what that huge city is like uh, during the holiday season. The hotel we stayed in alone was almost 2,000 rooms. It was like a city, oh. it's like a city itself, the biggest hotel I've ever been in uh, for sure. So, uh, yeah, uh, just something I'll never forget, being there for the ceremony, getting a chance to look at the trophy up close and see Joe Burrow win it. Now, why I wanted to have you on, I really wanted to talk LSU 2020, moving forward with the season ahead. Obviously, just got going under spring camp there in Baton Rouge but before we get into the 2020 season do you have a you know last year was just such a dream run 15-0 and national champions never been done at LSU is there a favorite moment or memory or anything from last season that really sticks out to you that maybe years and years down the line people are going to be asking you about this season what's the first thing that's going to come to your mind well I had the opportunity to be at all 15 games um Covered, covered every single game in person, uh, all the press conferences, the practices. Um, I think what will stand out to me, I, I, there were so many big games. I, I won't forget uh, the big win at Texas early in the year when it was about 100 degrees and that huge atmosphere. <laughs> you know, I'll never forget the, uh, the Florida game at home, which was a huge night game and just a shootout back and forth. And then Joe Burrow kind of putting the game on ice with a deep bomb to Jamar Chase. Um, the Auburn game at home uh, in the daytime was kind of a game that you had to grind through to win. Uh, I, I think the win at Alabama would probably uh, is one of the things I'll remember the most. Um, certainly that was kind of a, a mental block, so to speak, that you wondered LSU could get past. And certainly before the year began, I, I would have picked LSU at best to go 11-1 and in the regular season. I you know, just didn't think that LSU, after losing 29 to nothing at home to Alabama would be able to go on the road to Tuscaloosa, a place where they had lost by double digits for a series of years. And with basically the same players that they were counting on in the game, they got beat 29 nothing. go over there and win. And not only win, but win pretty convincingly. Uh, the final score was 46-41. I think we all know that LSU gave up a 75-yard touchdown pass when they were up 12 in the final moments there uh, on, on a one-play drive. Um, but that was a day, you know, you walked around. It was a beautiful day, beautiful fall day. The president of the United States is at the game. No matter how you feel about politics, that's kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. And the opening drive of the game, um, you know, the first two plays, uh, Tua hits a pass across the middle, and then I think it was Najee Harris rips off a 30-yard run. The crowd's going crazy. It's like, oh, no, here we go again. But on third, on third and goal, when Tua uh, dropped the ball and fumbled, and LSU recovered. At that point, you felt like, okay, maybe something different, something different's going to happen today. And uh, and then winning that game, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire playing the way he did in that game, where he uh, uh, his his parents, his family told us the story later that Nick Saban recruited him, but told him that he um, could was going to be a kick returner and not a running back. Um, uh, you know, for him to go out and get, I think it was 180 uh, total yards and score four touchdowns in the game was something that was uh, that I'll never forget covering that game, and, uh, and and then you know just to make really a joke out of games that are supposed to be huge games and dramatic. The SEC championship was a blowout, and then the Oklahoma uh, semifinal game was basically like a rental win in September. I mean, it was 49-14 at the half. Uh, okay, when we're going to get Miles Brennan in the game? Uh, hey, we we don't need Clyde Edwards-Helaire. We can rest him for the national championship. I mean, these these are things that you typically would not say in such a big situation. And uh, and there was tragedy as well that day, uh, where, where where many of us lost a, a friend in uh, in Carly McCord, who who tragically died on on in that plane crash that same day. Steve Ensminger's uh, daughter-in-law. So um, even a even a dream season that LSU experienced where everything seemed to go right, um, you know, had some touches of, uh, of some tragedy. But basically, it, it, as much as, as, as I enjoyed it, um, you really couldn't truly savor it until the final game was won because I, I know 
that you know there there was definitely some football PTSD from 2011 when very similar similarly LSU had a dynamite football team that was blowing the socks off of everyone and then we all know the the final game the national championship just did not go LSU's way and then you know that season uh, as great as it was went 13 and 1 and so until LSU ran the table totally and ensured themselves that they won the national title was one of those things where it seemed like all year, no matter what LSU accomplished, it was always, okay, we're moving on to the next, we're moving on to the next, we're not, we're not satisfied, we're not satisfied. And, and that attitude obviously carried them to the title. Well, looking ahead to 2020, I think the biggest question in Baton Rouge and maybe even in the entire SEC is the, trying to replace Joe Burrow, trying to replace Joe Brady, which – one of those, if you had to pick one, I know it's a very difficult question, but Joe Burrow, Joe Brady, who's going to be tougher for LSU to replace next season? Uh, I think Joe Burrow will be uh, will be much more difficult to replace. Um, we, we saw especially his feet uh, certainly became a huge factor in games where teams had him pinned and he was able to spin away and scramble out of the pocket and, and make a lot of ad-lib plays, uh, you know, backyard plays, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, Miles Brennan, I don't think, um, has those attributes. Uh, he may be able to run a little bit, but I don't think he's going to have that kind of scramble ability. And, and certainly I think that they can win games with him and, and they can have a successful season. And I'm not going to sell them short of anything. I think, um, and I'm not saying this just because Joe Brady is gone now, but there were some people that may have felt that, that Joe Brady got a little too much credit in, in, in what happened with LSU. But certainly the guy proved himself uh, bringing in the things that he implemented. Um, and you, you saw the huge difference in LSU's offense. My goodness, the greatest season ever by a quarterback. The numbers they put up. I mean, like I said earlier, to get shut out by Alabama at home, then go on the road and score 46 the following year with basically the same people uh, says all you need to know. And the fact that Carolina put up the kind of money that, that, that they did to get uh, Joe Brady as their offensive coordinator when the guy is barely 30 years old certainly says something but you know players on the field I think matter most and uh, I think Joe Burrow will certainly be harder to replace than an assistant coach. Now you mentioned Miles Brennan there it's kind of a down year for SEC quarterbacks I think that's fair to say at least on paper but Coach O I mean he's been hyping up Miles Brennan for seems like going on three years now what's the expectation for Miles Brennan uh, heading into the first season where he it certainly looks like he is got the job on the you know lockdown there in Baton Rouge? Well, I think the expectation is to win football games, whether you throw for 150 yards or 300 or whatever. If you get out of there with more points than the other guys, uh, you're a winner. And I think that um, we all got uh, – it's funny how, you know, I, I know I covered LSU quarterbacks where it was a uh, not unusual for them to throw for 100, 120 yards in a game. And then all of a sudden, it's amazing how desensitized we got to Joe Burrow throwing 350, 400 in a game. Oh yeah, he did that again. It was almost, it was almost like the Drew Brees effect, you know. Uh, Drew Brees threw for 350 today. Yawn. Okay, what else is new, you know? So um, I, I think that uh, it's not going to be about stats. Uh, I think it's going to be about his leadership uh, from this point forward. As I'm talking to you until until August when practice starts in earnest. How hard will he work in the offseason? How much of a leader will he be in the offseason? How much will he just totally immerse himself uh, in his craft and proving that he has a burning desire to take over a national championship team and uh, and try to make a run at, at, at back-to-back titles somehow? Uh, he's always had the arm strength. There's no doubt he can throw a football. Uh, he's put on the weight. I think he's, uh, he's when he came to LSU, he was a twig. Now he's uh, kind of got some some body armor built up, so to speak, where he can take some SEC hits. Um, and he's entering his fourth year with the program. In 2017, uh, Ed Ogeron's first uh, full year as the head coach in, in the permanent head coaching capacity with, with the Matt Canada experiment at offensive coordinator, um, uh, Miles Brennan got into some games and got into some games at significant times. Um, uh, I remember the Alabama game that year, 2017. LSU was never really uh, threatening to win that game, but in a 24 to 10 game, I think with about five minutes left, they put Miles Brennan in the game. I mean, he scored a touchdown, and you got a chance to kick an onside kick and get the ball back and make it interesting. So they put him in some big spots as a freshman. 
Um, he, he obviously has mentored under uh, the, a guy who had the greatest season in college football ever and a legend in Joe Burrow. How much has he learned uh, and how much is he ready to, uh, to, to, to be a leader on this team who have two great targets to throw to right off the bat and Jamar Chase and Terrence Marshall Jr. at wide receiver. He's got some talented running backs and Tyree and Davis Price. Uh, John Emery needs to mature and uh, get stronger in the weight room. And then a guy like Chris Curry, who they just said, hey, you, you get a chance to play today in a semifinal against Oklahoma, and he runs for 90 yards. So they got some talent there um, for him to work with. The schedule will be tough. Um, have to go to Florida, have to go to Auburn, go to Texas A&M. There are some tough, tough games on that schedule in Alabama at home. But, uh, you know, I, I, right now, if LSU could go 10-2 and two next year in the regular season and play in a, a significant bowl game, I think that that would be a successful season. Uh, uh, great season. I don't want to say great, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they do better than that, uh, you know, let's, let's see what they can do. Now, what about the local reaction of hiring Bo Pelini to run the defense? How's that going? And Coach O's made it very clear they're going back to the 4-3. Have fans, you know, Bo Pelini was there. I know it was over a decade ago, but, I mean, he had some outstanding defenses. Is that a hire that uh, fans have rallied behind? Yeah, I I think that Ed Ogeron has certainly um, built up the trust of the fan base now in terms of his hires and and who who he hires. you know, the national championship season, uh, the two games that they lost were high-scoring games. They gave up a lot of points in a triple overtime loss in Kentucky. They gave up a lot of points in a triple overtime uh, game against uh, Arkansas uh, during the regular season. But his defense, Opaline's defense, uh, ranked very high that year nationally. Uh, certainly in the national championship game against Ohio State, they were they were outstanding. And uh, I think the big question right off the bat is that, uh, you know, Bo Pelini is a very fiery individual, very animated, uh, very, very emotional. I haven't really paid attention to him because he's, he's been a bit out of sight, out of mind at Young, Youngstown State. Certainly when he was the head coach at Nebraska, he was much more in the spotlight and, and a few of his temper tantrums made national news. And I believe he was reprim- reprimanded a few times and so forth. But, uh, you know, that, that was kind of my big question right off the bat. How, how do these two fiery personalities with Pelini and Ogeron uh, mix? And they're both defensive coaches. But um, certainly from what I've heard, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of great mutual respect between those two guys. They think they're going to work hard together. I think Ogeron has been pushing uh, for more of a 4-3 approach. I think there was probably even, I don't want to say some disagreements, but there might have been a little bit of, uh, different philosophy on what LSU should have done at times last year between himself and, and Dave Aranda. And uh, so I think that was kind of a perfect time perhaps for the two to, to move on. Dave Aranda did a great job, certainly uh, in the national championship. The defense was outstanding against Clemson. Uh, he gets a chance to be a head coach at Baylor. By the way, I saw him the other day at the LSU baseball games. They were playing in Houston uh, at the Shriners Classic. They played against Baylor. and Dave Aranda was up in the stands watching the Bears. So uh, but, yeah, I, 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 I think that uh, his defenses on paper were better than I remembered. I think they showed that they were the top three of the SEC every year, maybe uh, you know, very high ranked nationally. And certainly the guys that played for Bo Pelini, uh, Derry Beckwith, former linebacker who's still in the Baton Rouge area, still speaks very highly of, uh, of Bo Pelini and many other players have voiced their support on Twitter and other places. So, uh, so I've seen Coach Pelini at a couple of LSU basketball games and and so I'm coaching hard the first day of spring ball this past weekend. So uh, let's go. I, I think it's a I think it's a good hire. All right, last question for you, Jacques. But does LSU enter next season expecting to beat Alabama? And is it, how weird is that for me to even ask you that? <laughs> well, the game is uh, the game is at home. Uh, it'll be in Tiger Stadium, and Alabama won't have a big name at uh, at quarterback as Tua has gone pro. Uh, certainly the uh, trend in the, the recent games was that LSU would play Alabama close at home and then lose uh, at Alabama after playing close for a half, three quarters, and then Alabama would blow the game open in Tuscaloosa. Uh, certainly in 2018, that did not, uh, you know, in Tiger Stadium, that game was a nightmare. I, I, I have joked that that was a absolutely perfect day until the game started. It was a beautiful day. <laughs> But it was perfect. The, the atmosphere was just off the hook. There were all these former players there, and then the game started, and, and it didn't go well. But, uh, but yeah, I, I don't see. Uh, I, I, I know that Alabama is going to be thought to be, from what I hear, loaded this year going into the season. I think they'll be a preseason one or two, whatever they are. 
think LSU may check in in the top ten somewhere if you put a gun to my head right now. Um, but I, I, I certainly think that they've got a that they'll have a, a chance to win that game. But you know who knows in November what the injury situation is and all those different things. But but like I said, I think if LSU would go ten and two and maybe lose a game at Florida and maybe lose a game at Auburn or something like that and beat Alabama at home and. And, and kind of like in 2018, they played in the Fiesta Bowl, a major bowl that wasn't part of the playoff. I think that that would be a very successful season. But I know after coming off of last year, uh, there's a guy that did radio here uh, in Baton Rouge by the name of Buddy Sanji. He would always say, after you have filet mignon, you don't want to go back to red beans and rice. And, <laughs> and certainly I think uh, <laughs> after this year, that was that, that, that was filet mignon from the top restaurant in the world, you know, th- this past LSU season. So, I, But I think most – Intelligent fans know that that we may never see a season like that again. Even if LSU wins a national title, it may not. This past year, buddy, was kind of like the 1985 Chicago Bears. You know, it's like uh, a very, very special team that'll be talked about for for decades to come. Now, before you go, Jacques, can you tell us just a little bit about your Red Rock and Blue charity and why fans should check that out? Yeah, Red Rock and Blue uh, is a, a charity that raises money for Louisiana military charity organizations like the Blue Star Moms of Louisiana, Wounded War Heroes. We do some fun summertime events. We do a, a softball tournament, a slow-pitch softball tournament that anybody out there can enter a team in. It's a three-game guarantee that takes place here in Baton Rouge on uh, June 27th and 28th at uh, Brex Oak Villa Softball Complex. Uh, we do a celebrity softball game. We call it the uh, the celebrity, sort of celebrity softball game. That's uh, Friday, June 26th. It'll be at LSU Tiger Park where LSU plays softball, where we try to round up as many uh, well-known former athletes from different sports, football, basketball, baseball, and some local um, television and radio personalities to play in a softball game for charity. Uh, they do an autograph and picture session before the game and, and have some fun playing in a game uh, for charity and uh, and then we have some concert events that we do at the Varsity Theater here in Baton Rouge. So, uh, so check us out. The website's RedRockAndBlue.com. If you've got a business and want a quick tax write-off and, and uh, support the, the, uh, the those who you know protect our freedom overseas and all the different military organizations, uh, check out RedRockAndBlue.com. Outstanding stuff, Jacques. Okay, so once again, as Jacques Doucet, WAFB Channel 9 in Baton Rouge, really appreciate you joining the show, bringing some insight into the Tigers, and I'm just ready for some football. Thanks for having me, and also congratulations to you and your Twitter following. I, I see that you're well over 20,000 followers on your on your Twitter page and everything, so congratulations on your great success and continued growth. Absolutely. Thanks, Jacques. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. All right, Shane, so some outstanding stuff. Once again, Jacques Doucet of WAFB Channel 9 in Baton Rouge. And, uh, man, give this guy not only a follow, but check out his organization there. They really do some good work with Red Rock and Blue Charity. Uh, I think just for him hopping on, we should all at least check it out there. They're doing some terrific work in the community there. But some good insight there from Jacques. And, you know, it's interesting where he just kind of hit on these notes a little bit there, but I thought uh, kind of the most interesting things that he hit on, the fact that, you know, there's so much turnover there at LSU on the coaching staff, thinking Joe Brady, thinking Dave Aranda, and the fact that, you know, there's probably an edge to some people down there in Baton Rouge. He he didn't name names, but I think it's pretty clear he's talking, you know, Steve Ensminger, Coach O, these are the type of guys he's talking about, where maybe they're very selfless guys, but at the same time, I think they're going to be motivated by the fact so many people throwing dirt on them saying, well, Joe Brady's gone, so the offense is going to suck. Dave Aranda, you know, he was the best defensive coordinator in the nation. And now they're bringing in Bo Pelini. What in the hell are they doing? They're going back to 4-3. This ain't 1990 anymore. So, I mean, I think you're going to hear a lot of that from from SEC fans outside of Baton Rouge. But I think that's going to motivate the Tigers to do even better next season. And uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Dude, LSU's loaded. And I, I first off, I appreciate the interview. The interview was fantastic. I, he is one of my my favorite follows on Twitter just because of the content he puts out. But I wanted to say this about the team in general. I just I don't think it takes a step back. And I'm kind of like you with the coach. I think Brady's important. But, you know, that's that, Steve was making the calls. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brady only did third downs and, and red zones, you know. I'm sure Steve can handle that. So 
I, I just I, I think they got tons of weapons. They got I think the best receiver in the country. Um, this this team, yeah, may not put up four or five hundred yards passing like like uh, Jacques was saying, but they're still going to be very productive, man, and they're still going to be dangerous. And you never know. I mean, I know they've lost uh, Justin Jefferson, but hell, Derek Stingley. I mean, I'm not expecting him to put up <laughs> Justin Jefferson numbers, but he could be a playmaker, you know, on offense this year too. So, I mean, there's just going to be so many opportunities for LSU's offense to, you know, they're not going to they're not going to score 50, 60 a game, but if they're scoring 35 to 45 a game, I mean, they're going to be competitive in every every SEC matchup. And the thing that I question, I know everyone is going to be worried about replacing Joe Burrow. I know Miles Brennan, is, it's probably unfair to ask him to be Joe Burrow, but the biggest issue that I have with LSU heading into the next season, it's kind of the same issue they had going into 2019, but they solved it, is that offensive line. And mm. they're, they're having to replace four of the five, and I know that's like not a topic a lot of people like to hit on, but if they don't find those answers there, I don't think it really matters who they got at running back and receiver. And, and even if uh, Miles Brennan's playing well, he ain't going to do too well if he's getting destroyed every play, you know? Yeah, man. You got to have your hogs, man. Because you're right. If, you, if you're if you constantly running for your life, and it, there was even times last year, Joe was. And that's how he made – but mm-hmm. he was just he was just that good that he could make plays on the run. Is there a quarterback on the team that could do that? If it's not Miles, do you think – do you think there's a quarterback competition down there? I mean, I saw – I ain't going to lie, Mike. So, I mean, Jock, I think, put this thing out here. Mm-hmm. And I saw the video of the freshman quarterback down there. The guy is an oh, absolute yeah. monster. TJ, I mean, it's a- I was, that's what I was going to hit on. TJ Finley, I mean, if, if anyone's not seen this kid, I think he's about 6'6", 250-something pounds. I mean, he looks Seriously. like – he he looks like Jamarcus Russell. I mean, is that that's who he kind of reminds me? Before he went downhill, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he looks like L- <laughs> yeah. LSU version of Jamarcus Russell on first impression. I I'm not saying he is or he's got that type of. Jamarcus Russell was a, one of the most dominant players I've ever seen in person in my life. But hell, I mean, maybe that maybe if he, <laughs> he was he's there. Dude, in the he spring. was zipping it, man. <laughs> yeah. He was zipping. I mean, you you know that's what we do in spring, man. We 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 pick one or two players on your team and we just. You know, we just get we get on the hot train, dude. We oh, get them yeah. so pumped up, and and um, I'm thinking LSU. Uh, I'm going. I'm leaning more toward this TJ. I think that we're gonna. It may be crazy talk, but I mean, just first impression. This kid is. I mean, he's got it, and you know, hell, I think he had a little gray in his beard too. Did you notice that? <laughs> I, has anybody carded this kid? <laughs> well, just imagine, Shane, if the offensive line is a liability, who are you going to go with, Miles Brennan or uh, TJ the Tank? Shit, just put TJ up there and block, man, you know? <laughs> <laughs> all right, Shane, so I, I think that's about all I got uh, on this one. I uh, hope you guys appreciated that LSU breakdown there and uh, we got more coming. I got a terrific guest lined up to talk some Tennessee football in the coming days. Uh, mm-hmm. Still reaching out to some others to try to get some uh, some other teams covered, including Kentucky. So don't feel like we're leaving the Wildcats out. But, uh, yeah, we got more SEC content coming in the coming days. Hope everyone appreciates these spring breakdowns. I know we're in the middle of basketball season, and I'm not trying to disrespect that sport. But, hell, we're football 365 on this podcast, and – uh, if, if that's what you're into, that's why you've made it a damn hour into a <laughs> podcast here in March on uh, SEC football. We do appreciate it. That's right, man. We do. And, uh, you know, the ratings, the reviews, they really do help us out. Mike, I really do. I really appreciate everybody that takes the time uh, for the ratings and reviews. we got a couple of doozies on there I'm looking forward to reading. And we will do that. We always do that the last day of the podcast each week. So if you got if you got yourself an iPhone, Apple product, jump on there. Five-star rating. That really does help us out. We'll get some koozies sent your way. So just appreciate y'all. Absolutely, Shane. So that's going to do it for this one. And I appreciate you for hopping on. I'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go Vols.
But I'm telling you, Emory, and I think they're going to make. Oh, damn, he's here at the house. One second. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, let's let's talk about that. Just uh, all right. So, if my man Nick's. <laughs> I thought I knew him, but man, don't put this on the back, all right? All right. Okay. 